Thanks for listening to another episode of Deep Thoughts with the Dixons. Did you know you can connect with your hosts, Nina and Brian, on Instagram at Nina Powell Dixon and Brian Dixon 06? Be sure to reach out to them and share your thoughts and suggestions. They love to hear from you all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Deep Thoughts with the Dixons. Thank you very much for joining us. We are happy to have you here. And today we're going to do something a little unique. Nina and I have been talking about different interesting episode topics that we could chat about for our listeners. And we thought, you know, what if we take a bunch of these core topics that we thought up and framed it in a way of what would it look like in the future if all of these things that are big global challenges that we see right now were fixed in different ways. And obviously this is not going to be comprehensive, but just creating some interesting future forward looking projections for how we would like to see things change to see if it could solve some of these major global issues. I'd like to think of it as like when I was, I was talking to my mom recently and I was talking to her about how the norm now in foreign countries is to send your kids to school in London or Switzerland it's not America anymore. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was people in other countries would, would want, it was a dream to send your kid to America. And it's not like that anymore. So I was talking to her and we started spurring on that topic. And then you and I were talking. And I'm like, it would be cool to do an episode where we kind of project the future. You know, like, what is it going to look like? What does education look like? What does our food look like? What does globalization look like? You Technology, know, all sorts te- of things. Yeah. What is it, you know, because... I understand that when we talk on this podcast, there's a lot of things that we kind of hate on, not hate on, but we're like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is bad, you know? And this is just a time. It's a shift. I think every generation goes through it that in their generation, they don't like certain things. And there's always that divide of people who kind of go mainstream, people who don't go mainstream. So you and I don't really follow mainstream. And I'm sure 15, you know, when when our parents were young, there was a group of them who were mainstream and a group who wasn't. And just like always, as it's always been, there's always people in a generation or in a society that kind of think, what's the future going to be look like? Look like? And it's fun to just talk about it and kind of like imagine, like, where is this headed? So let's start off with education okay. because I feel like you and I have had very unique experiences when you compare our stories to other friends and family members where... We both came from a family of go to school, higher education, you know, um, master's degree, law degree, you know, so on. And that kind of determined in our parents' eyes or in societies at the time, like who's successful and who's not, who's going to make money and who's not, who's always going to have a job and who's not. That's just what the times were. That's what people thought. And I think parents did the best that they could with what they knew, but that's what the mainstream line of thought was around education completely ignoring the fact that it was so expensive you know people I don't know why our parents didn't question that they just worked their asses off and provided and and put us through school now at 31 and 32 years old I look at education as a complete waste of time I I I wouldn't say complete waste of time and I'll I'll give my point of view too yeah we'll go on there I think it is a complete waste of time. And I think that the things that I have learned from education, which was discipline, um, grit, resilience, socialization, socialization, all those things that I can give credit to 
you know, I think law school gave me the most, to be honest with you. It's the reason why I stick to something and I see things through. I'm not scatterbrained. I'm very focused. I'm very determined. That all came because I ha- I was forced to be that way in, in law school to achieve good grades. I couldn't just slack off. It wasn't college. But all those little things that I could give school credit to, I honestly believe that if our society was geared in a way from bottom to top and top to bottom, in a way to teach your youth and teach your kids these things, they could easily learn those situations. You don't have to pay, you know, $400,000 in schooling altogether for one kid for them to learn those simple basics of life. And that's where my struggle comes from, that when someone, you know, like you just said, when someone says that to me, I'm like, you don't have to go to school for that. You know, Mm -hmm. the problem is now this is another part. This is this this episode is going to be very different. It's not going to be like, you know, a cohesive thing It's kind of just going to flow the way it naturally is going to go. But I think that the reason people kind of expect school to teach your kids all these things is because currently and probably for the last 20 some years, it's very normal the way that our economy is built and the way that our society works that a household with kids has two working parents because one cannot provide for everybody. That's flat out sad to me. And that's like very pathetic to me too. And that's the reason that they send their kids to school and they're working to send their kids to school because they can't both be home to teach their kids these basics of socialization, determination, motivation, kind of like finding yourself, you know, simple math, simple science. You don't have that foundation at home because they're all out there trying to put food on the table for you. Jump back to our great-grandparents' time or even before that, it was very common to have one parent at home and, and, and not, to handle yeah, that. And not only have only one parent working, but one parent thriving yes. in, in the economy yes, because right. you know there wasn't such terrible inflation and the dollar had more value to it worldwide. Mm-hmm. And just the global macro and microeconomics that have played out throughout the years have created a society now where more and more people are having to basically go above and beyond of what they ever had to do in the past just to get by, if not under getting by, right? Like we've created a society now that is this huge disparate proportion of wealth, right? Like there's there's a certain group of people that hold the vast majority of the wealth for our entire global population. And then there's a huge cutoff for people that fall way below that standard deviation and mean of like what that average wealth would be, right? And because of that, it has now created a global economy of a lot of control and a lot of people that are having to do everything they possibly can just to put food on the table and get by. Yeah. And it's there's a shift and I think our generation, you could call us millennials, whatever, we've kind of we kind of see this now, right? Let's talk about the future. The future is going to change now. We've posed the problem. This is the issue. I think the future is going to change because I think the old way has failed us in many ways. When you say you let, we let the schools teach our kids, which is, which was us. We were taught by school. I think it's failed us in the sense that we didn't have that foundation at home, even though my mom was pretty much home and, but I am very different than most of my peers. Go ahead. Let me say something quickly about the school system. So this is not just new to our generation or to our parents or to our grandparents or our great grandparents. The for hundreds and hundreds of years, the business model of educational institutions has remained the same. And that is to provide a standardized curriculum 
to students at an early age, usually starting in preschool or kindergarten, and then building on the blocks of that standard curriculum until they reach a level of university or college if an individual elects to go that route. And then monetizing off the student for the knowledge provided to them, again, created in siloed standardized forms of different curriculum based off various disciplines that a student desires to go. And then if they go to graduate school, same business model, it just becomes even more specialized, whether you become a lawyer or a doctor or a neuroscientist or you know whatever it is, that, the path that you take. The challenge with this is that the standardized curriculum that is provided to students is not focused around figuring out what a person is really good at and excels at from a very young age and then playing to their strengths as that person ages and gets older. It's focused around, and I know you have to kind of go through different things to figure out what's good and what's not for a certain individual, but all the way through school, we don't really have any mechanisms that allow you to play to what a person is really strong at until way later in their life. This is exactly the point I was gonna make when I said I think it's failed us. You're right, they never gives you or teaches kids the opportunity to learn themselves to learn their strengths and weaknesses. It doesn't give you room to question, right? It doesn't ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? It just gives you a pool of things like a firefighter, a policeman and this. It doesn't ask you like happiness or I want financial stability. It doesn't teach you these things. It kind of, it's all shaped around putting you in a box almost. And what I've learned or what I wish that I had knew, known when I was younger is that one size does not fit all and that's what our education tries to do is just push you in one direction. Here's an example. Currently, there is a blockchain need in the world, right? We are now in our 30s yeah. and a lot of people the, the, can be, can find a open opportunity in jobs if they start to take blockchain curriculum or look for it or get certified or become coders and developers, Right. Now everybody's going to push for that or people's uh, parent, kids' parents are going to push for that because they think that's job security and that's how my kid can make a lot of money. They're making X, Y, Z. And it's the same wave and the same mistakes that are being repeated time and time after again in every single generation where it's not supposed to be about what you should be pushing your kid into based on money and job security. That's very fear-based. How about you teach your kid how to question themselves, how to find their strengths and weaknesses, how to work through their inner thinking, their thoughts, teach them how to think, their thought processes, tell them and empower them to make their own decisions, not let somebody feed you something. And that's what school does. It feeds you something and gives you a number score. And it's all based off memorization. It's not based around critical and analytical thinking and I think that's a big way that the educational institution fails us as well is that we're never taught to think about a circumstance or something that we've learned objectively and ask ourselves first and foremost is what I just learned even true right like just because we read something in a history book at a young age and then it builds on that over time we should be asking ourselves is the information that we just read even accurate is the book that put it together and placed these pieces together, did that publisher assemble the information correctly? And even more, is this story that was assembled for this particular book even true in the first place? That's history. Think about medical. How many people go into debt to go to medical school? And it's supposed to be this esteemed career, you know, so-called esteemed career, and this is nothing against doctors. But in 2019, 
more people and I've traveled a lot to different countries. So this is where I'm speaking. I'm speaking from experience. People look to Western medicine as complete garbage. What people learn, American doctors learn here at, in school is not how to cure you. It's not how to treat you. It's just how to like put a bandaid on what's wrong. Oh, you have a headache? Here's a pill to stop the, the headache. It's nothing's there to cure you. They don't tell you about your diet. They don't tell you about your exercise. They don't put an emphasis on holistic healing that your body by nature can do, you know, but just by changing your diet, just by changing your food and like being educated in nutrition and educated in mindset and your mental health, everything's connected to your gut, which is the ma- the majority of our illnesses happen because of our unhealthy gut. And doctors, they spend seven years in school, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, terrible work hours and re- residency to even become doctors. To do what? I mean, for To my- make everybody more sick? To, to be legal pill pushers? And that's where I think like it's an economy, it's a system. I don't think school serves us. I think schools in America are self-sustaining. They have a self-agenda for profit. You know, do you, does it make any sense to you that school should be something we pay for? Do you think like back in the olden olden times, do you think people paid to go to school or did they have mentors and a, and a grandmother taught their kids all this stuff that she had, you know, learned over time or you go to like an apprenticeship? People don't you weren't supposed to pay for education. That was supposed to be something very sacred, especially in India, that was supposed to be handed down out of like reverence and gratitude that you were here to serve the next generation that's here you're blessed to be able to do that and the, the concept of ongoing monetization of education i think is one of the other core reasons as to why we have these disparate wealth gaps is because yeah. if you can only make it to a certain point because you don't have the financial means to get to the next level of education or you weren't able to get a scholarship to a specific location because maybe the educational system before that didn't play to your strengths and you're really smart in one or two areas, but the other ones balanced you out so you couldn't get into a good school to hit the, hit the high enough ranking for a scholarship or whatever the circumstance could be, then you're stuck, right? Unless you have a lot of self-empowerment to go learn things on your own and like have a lot of self-help for your own personal and professional development, you're kind of stuck at that point, right? You you get capped off and then you don't get the same opportunities. Well, and, let's look at it. Let's look at our current state right now where we have a bunch so-called millennials. We're hated on because we don't want to do things the way that they've been done. We're actually stepping back from the last few generations of the same BS and saying, Nope, sorry. This truly doesn't make me happy. And I know that happiness doesn't matter to you, but I'm sorry it's bleeding into the rest of my life. I have to do something about it. I understand that that comes off as lazy. I understand that it comes off as weak and we have no resilience or no backbone. But trust me, that's not true. It's just that we believe in a more holistic life. We believe in sacrifice, but we also believe in, you know, getting what's ours and like attaining that like blissful life. We don't believe in the toiling and the negativity and the hard work and the blood, sweat and tears. We believe that there's a better path to all that. Not necessarily an easier path, but a better path. And I think that years and generations of this kind of profitable education that is like responsible for our education and schooling has built up these broken individuals. And I'm going to say something and people might not like it, but do you think that our grandparents and parents were very self-aware people as, as much as people are now in today's time? It's taken the last few generations well into their 50s and 60s to become, 
to have some time during retirement, to have some time as they got older that kind of pushed them towards like becoming more aware. They then look back and say, I should have vacationed more. I should have done more things with my family members. I should have spent more time with my parents. I should have done done arts and crafts because that's what I wanted to do. I should not have gone to college. I should have gone to straight to like acting school. And they did the same things to their kids though now. But we are, I feel like, are standing up and voicing it and saying, okay, I'm aware of the mistakes that have been made, whether they're their fault or my own fault, or I just was naive and I was young. So to talk about the future now, I feel that because of our generation quitting jobs, getting away from the corporate world, figuring out how to make a side hustle, doing more creative things, believing in I can have a very well-balanced work life and a home life and I can still have kids and still provide and, you know, do the whole monotone things that we all want in life in a much more holistic and balanced and healthy manner will naturally bring about the next generation of kids in a different way. I think our generation will teach kids different things. I don't think that there's going to be a huge push on education. I know I won't. Now, you can. this is recorded and out there in the ether forever. And who knows in five to 10 years, like maybe I am pushing my kid to college. I don't know. I have no idea. But I assume and currently if you were to ask my viewpoint on it as a, as somebody who does not have kids, my viewpoint is no. If you want to go to college, by all means go. You figure that out for yourself. And I will try to give you all the conversations and experiences and allow you to have an open mind to come to that. I don't want to influence your mind. Like my parents told me that it was this, this, it's this or that it's this or you're kicked out of the house. I want kids to come to their own understanding and, you know, kind of explore the world as they're becoming teenagers who at 18 knows what they want to do. And we're forced to be like, what college you want to go to? You know, you don't know. I mean, I went to pre-med then I went into business, then I went out of business, then I went to HR, and then I minored in business. I was all over the place. And this is with very strict parents, mind you. Like, they still couldn't hold me down. And that just makes me think, like, I want kids to grow up and explore things and naturally find their way. My job is to kind of be there to catch them, right? And if something goes wrong, like, I'm there to help, but also teach them a lesson. It's not to control their destiny. It's not to control what they want or they don't want. And it's certainly not to push upon them what I think they need to be doing. That's not appropriate because what's what's relative in my life, in my journey when I was a kid in college is not relative in theirs now. And I think a lot of the times parents and generations kind of push that on you, forgetting that time has passed. The economy has changed. The working world has changed. The amount of money that doctors make or the lawyers make or the amount of jobs that are out there, that has changed. It's not the same anymore. So... I believe that the change in education is going to be a lot of millennials are not going to push their kids to school. They're going to let their kids become entrepreneurs. I think one fact before I elaborate on that is also millennials are that are the same kids who actually left graduated college during the crash. So a lot of us saw our parents go through divorces for money issues. A lot of us saw the crash happen and, and our parents lose their homes and their mortgages. And, you know, there's a lot of suicides that year as well for a lot of parents. And we were all very much old enough to remember all that. That's how we entered the working world during a, during a recession. And so I think that we've, we've bared the brunt of it. Like we saw like there's nothing to this and it can come down any day. 
And in this country, it runs in cycles. And so you have to be able to make money and be financially free so that tomorrow nobody can just fire you or your job is not dependent on that. And ultimately, most importantly, yes, happiness is a big factor. You cannot ignore happiness. And in corporate America, they don't reward you for saying this. They don't reward you for wanting to be happy at work. You know, my, my dad, he's not going to ever admit that. He's not going to say like, happiness? I did a lot of things that I didn't want to do. I did a, I made so many sacrifices, you know. There was not a day that I could say that I was actually happy. It was me who myself, I had to make myself happy, motivate myself. And I was like, I understand that. But there's something that ticked in you that said, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I want to branch off on my own, invest and become, you know, go into real estate. He too himself, as hard as he was on us, kind of broke away from the norm and completely went against what his parents told him to do and what they want him to do. And kind of just said, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. I'll be my own boss because that's what gives me the most happiness. No one's going to control my family's food on their table or what what they're going to wear or what schools they're going to go to. No one's going to tell me tomorrow when I walk in that I don't have a job. Yeah. And I think that shift is starting to happen a lot right now. And people are becoming more aware of it because the data is showing that students are coming through school and then they're going and they're paying all this money for undergrad and then their graduate degrees and they're getting out and they're not able to get jobs. And then all of a sudden they're having to take jobs. Like first and foremost, they're not able to get jobs. Second, they're not able to get jobs aligned with what they want to do. So third, they have to take a job that maybe they don't enjoy because they immediately have to start paying back this debt that they've accumulated over the last four to eight years. And one of the biggest things that I learned throughout school is that if I really look at the most important things I learned throughout my academic history, it really has nothing to do with the foundational aspects of what is taught in the classroom. It has everything to do with the socialization aspects, network building aspects, um, you know, being able to figure out how to navigate through all these things and, and gain a sense of not only book, but also street smarts, right? And what I learned, like going even into like the highest levels of education, because I went through all the way to the end of law school um, with the university that was one of the top 20 in the country. And like, I didn't learn anything. Like when I was there, I literally maybe like under 5% of what I learned throughout three years of law school and undergrad, I actually applied to the working world. Like I didn't learn anything about getting into our society in a streamlined manner in terms of what I wanted to do and how to operate successfully until I was in it and I was doing it. And that's the big, hold on, that's the big problem that we have is that there's not enough opportunity for students to get real life clinical experience and like practical learning because they're stuck in memorization mode, which in my opinion is pure indoctrinization of our society. I'm going to ask you a couple questions based on what you just said, because I agree with everything you just said. We have internship programs, right? Oh, let's get kids world, you know, real world experience with like startups and companies and this and that. Great. Uh, awesome. I still don't think that that helps. Did you, do you know how to get a mortgage? Do I know how to get a mortgage when I first did it? No, I just Do learned. you know how to get a, what you're supposed to do when you buy, before you buy a house? No. Do you know who you're supposed to hire before you buy a house? No. Do you know what you're supposed to look for in a house before you buy it? No. Do you know how to, um, if you were to get in a car accident at the age of 19 or 21, let's just say 21 and it was the who's ever fault it was do you know what to do next legally yeah. there's it keeps so going on and another big one too is from a financial literacy perspective yeah. like do you know how to 
do, are you trained to take a certain amount of money out of your check and invest it? Yeah. Are you trained to live below your means? Oh, that's a huge one. The answer to that is absolutely not because we're constantly programmed on a daily basis that you need to consume and buy as much as you possibly can to increase bottom lines for companies for things that we don't even need. I'm sure that almost 90% of listeners right now are going to agree with this. When you graduated college at... 21, 22, whatever it was, and you got your first job and you started getting a paycheck and you started getting like racking up money in your account. What did you do? You thought about getting a bigger apartment, a car, a car payment, clothes, going out and drinking and partying every weekend. All of a sudden you had all this money, you know, quote unquote, all of a sudden, all this money really wasn't that much, but you already, you had all of this. Was there anybody to stop you at that moment and explain to you that enough that you would understand to make a decision that this money should be invested, that you should not get a two-bedroom apartment, that you should not be you should not be spending more on your living of your paycheck. It's like a really small, like ten percent, twenty percent of your paycheck should go to living expenses. Yeah. We, we were actually talking about living earlier today. Like in society, it's like, oh, it's such a good investment to go buy a house. Terrible I'm, investment. No, 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 no. I cannot say it's a terrible. I think it depends on your financial situation. Mm-hmm. And I think it depends on your long-term and short-term goals. And it also depends on how you're getting your income. Do you have several sources of income? Are you, is your income reliable on a job and a boss and you could get fired tomorrow? Is this house too big for you? You know, what are the expenses like after your mortgage? There's a lot of expenses attached to a house other than the mortgage. And so... I think a lot of factors play if this is a smart decision for you or not. I can now say at 31, I can now sit back and run numbers and say this is good or this is bad for us. This size house is okay. This amount is okay. This is not. But I can't sit here and make a blanket statement and say that it's always a bad choice to invest in a house. I'll say for me personally, because I bought a house. Um, kind of with a mindset like I thought it was going to be a good investment. And I still do think it is because the area in which I purchased the home is like, I bought the home because I saw all the development around the area, kind of, and I saw what was coming over the next 10 to 20 years. And so I do think that it will turn out to be a good investment. But looking back at it, if I could have taken the dollars that I did for the initial investment in the home and put those in other areas that I actively invest in, I would have generated significantly higher returns than now this piece of hard property that I can't really do anything with right now. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't around that time to see what your numbers were, but I could see it as this is not your forever home. So technically, you still have the chance to make a huge return on this home in a couple of years if this area is really that booming. So in your case, I don't see it as a negative thing yet. I think it's undetermined. No, I don't see it as anything either. I just think that but there are it's people, something you need to seriously consider yes. before you come out of college yes. or, or wherever you're at and say, oh, I got to buy a home yeah. so I can start a family, things like that. Like I think it's smarter to potentially rent a place, like a, even if it's a home, like rent a home first smaller home. that's smaller so you're being more financially responsible yeah, instead of putting this big down payment on yeah. the home. I also th- don't think that people think down payment and a-, a mortgage and that's it. You don't take into account all the issues that come in a home after three or four years of owning it. Just naturally, dude, this is wood and cement and concrete. Every yeah. this things are always happening in a house. A house is a money pit in that in that definition. What I will say this is that I would never pay for a home outright. I don't care how rich I get. I will never put all the money down for a home because number one, who's to say you're going to live there forever? You just locked up all of your capital in a, in a building 
over your, you know, when you could be using that money to invest in other things to create more income. So it's, it's a definitely a financial decision. And I also think that many of us have been programmed to think like, oh, I own a home. I'm a homeowner. Because please, please do that voice again. I'm a homeowner. I'm a homeowner. You you think that that's what you need, and you think you're told by other people that that's what you should be getting at this age. And if you don't have it, that for some reason you're behind in life, and that is absolutely not the case. How about you take into consideration how much space it's going to be to clean? We have a cleaning lady. Okay, I'm not going to clean this whole thing by myself. Can you afford that? Can you afford a roof issue if something happens and you owe 10 grand on that? Our bathroom broke the other, you know, two, three weeks ago. That's a huge expense. You have to take into account, can my income stretch this far after a down payment and after some, after a mortgage payment every single month plus insurance. Yeah, to cover basically things that there's a 0% chance you can predict. You know, like, like there's, there's things that will happen once you own one that there's Mm -hmm. no way you could have predicted would ever happen. It's just completely random. Leave the water on and a pipe bursts in your house and now you got to get that fixed. That's a huge issue and a very expensive thing to get done. Um, the thing that you and I hate the most, what is it called? Outside stuff. Um, Uh, landscaping landscaping and stuff. That's like a two to three time every, uh, every yearly thing that you have to upkeep on. And so. These are things to think about and going, we got off topic here, going back to like financial literacy. We're never taught this in school. We're not taught these things. All we were taught is like, oh, parents congratulate us and pat us on the back when we've got a home and not an apartment. Listen. But hey guys, don't worry. Don't You'll worry. have a really nice piece of paper with a stamp and seal on it. I know. That says <laughs> you now owe the bank X amount of money. It's really, it's nothing to be proud of. And I don't think that it's not for everybody. And I firmly, I, I, I don't account and i don't say like if someone owns a home at a younger age or you know do i think they're always making a financially intelligent decision that does not determine if that's a good decision or not yeah but like, okay let, let's shift for everybody else. let's shift gears for a second so we've talked a little bit about from an educational perspective a lot of the challenges we see let's project this out into the future and what would we like to see change that we think could create a better future educational wise i think that it's going to start at home so parents, like I'm not trying to toot my own horn here and by no means am I saying I know the most. I'm learning and this is all new for me, but I think parents should be aware. Parents should be self-aware. Parents should go within and clear all their stuff out. You know, like the healing that you have to do. Like I've had to work through a lot of things to say, okay, I wish I didn't do X, Y, Z when I was younger and I wish I didn't listen to my parents. It came from a great place, but now all I can do is change the future and the now. You know, I don't hold that against anybody anymore. You got to work on yourself. You have to get clear on those things. And now you have to do the best that you can for the next generation. And I don't care if my parents want their grandkids to go to an Ivy League school and they're going to pay for it. If my kid doesn't want to go, that kid's not going to go. And if I can have any say in it, I would say, no, maybe you should take a year off and travel the world and gain experiences and find yourself. I think finding yourself is extremely important. And if we could all have had the time and the push to do it when we were younger, then we wouldn't be trying to do this now in our late 20s and early 30s, which the majority of us are. But we also have to think now not everybody is going to have the resources to take a year off and travel around the world, right? No, no, so but what, I'm what saying about that there should people? be a cultural societal shift. Like it's a like norm. A, like a gap year, like some other yeah, countries. Yeah, yeah. some, some countries do some, kind of really exactly. recommend having this gap year. They have a gap year after high school. Like maybe this kid doesn't want to go to college. And I think it's going to be a shift all around our economy and, and what is quote-unquote mainstream i think these things are going to change and we're going to be the ones to bring that change so first and foremost i think there's going to be more of an importance on 
instead of science and math and phonics and all this crap, I think it's going to be on like finding yourself, communicating with yourself, communicating with your with with your peers and other kids, how to how to communicate with your parents and not be afraid of your parents. You know, that we're not here to tell you what to do. We're only here to guide you. Um, I think there's going to be a shift on in the future what types of schools. I think different types of holistic schools will pop up. For an example, I really like, they're called Gurukul schools in India. And mostly like the very well-off families send their kids there. The only thing I don't agree with is that these kids are very young and it's kind of like a boarding school. But you're really taught your mind, body, and spirit. And then you go on to the rest of your day and you learn about science and math and all that and business and stuff. But it's very geared towards you as a person. Like your likes and dislikes, your self-awareness. If you're a troubled child and you're triggered and you're angry all the time, like you dig deep in that. It doesn't mean that you need, um, what's the medicine they give kids who are like very angry or like spastic? Oh, like Ritalin or Adderall? Yeah, Ritalin. Um, whereas here, you know, they'll tell your your kid has X, Y, Z all of a sudden in preschool and kindergarten. It's like, no, it's you. It's, it's a, it's a I actually, thing. This is just my opinion, but I don't, even think that some of these hyper, you know, ADD type stuff are, I don't think all of them are actually even legitimate. I think that if people would pay attention to what their children actually consume on a daily basis, you could actually manage that much more effectively than taking a pharmaceutical. It has to do with food. And, and that's going to lead me into my next point about a couple of things that I think we'll see in the future. Um, and I think we'll lead us into our next topic as well. I, I, with education, I think that it's going to be more of a holistic approach for young kids and it's going to be geared around them as a person and how they view the world and how they are more in control of things and not to teach your kid that we almost prepare kids to like be on guard and like fearful of society. Whereas you're going to raise kids to be more empowered and like you chart this way, you create your life with your thoughts and your mood and all of this. Like that's going to be taught that maturity then in school, I think there's going to be freedom. You know, if if there's going to be school, I, I don't even know. I think homeschooling schooling is going to become a big thing for our generation. You're going to allow the kid to kind of just give them everything they want. G- give them open doors, show them like different subjects and different careers or whatever and see which one they really excel at and that they truly enjoy as well. It's going to be a, like a, a dichotomy there. And then from there to create your own opportunities and not be driven by monetary gain or a pat on the back. Those two things will have no relevance. Like I know for me personally, I'm not going to tell my kid like money, money, money. Money will come to you in like loads and loads. Don't worry about it. And as far as me accepting you or giving you a congratulatory thing, I don't care what path you take. Like you're getting my support regardless. I think those two things will be more. Whereas in our generation, they weren't there from an education perspective. Um, I don't think that universities and schools will be around for that much longer, maybe a couple more generations, but I think they're going to continue to fizzle out because unless they adapt, and I don't really see them adapting. I just don't, I don't think sending a kid to school for six to eight hours a day away from their siblings and away from their parents and away from like that really critical time when you need to be around family to learn certain things behaviorally and mentally, I don't think that that's healthy and I don't think that's normal. So some of the things that I think will change is I think meditation will eventually become mandatory in all schools. Um, it'll take time, but I think through that, it'll start to calm down the whole epidemic of hyper 
active disorders. That's one thing. You think in schools or you think at home? Everywhere. I think it'll be mandatory. It'll be implemented by parents at home, but schools will live in. Some schools right now are already adopting this and they're seeing really great results is what the data is showing. But I think that at a very young age, even as early as like preschool and kindergarten, it'll become mandatory because it will start to create the mechanism for young children to start to discover themselves. The self-discovery and like what you mentioned regarding this holistic education. And because of that, that's going to dramatically impact other areas of school and self-discovery and playing to your strengths much quicker. So that's something I think will be mandatory in the future. I think everything will increasingly become more digital um, for a period of time. I think things will become more and more digital in terms of how people learn. It won't necessarily be that you have to be in a classroom to learn. But what I think will happen is there's just tremendous power in one-to-one human connection outside of technology. So as more and more things become digitally distributed from an educational perspective to a student, there will have to be different types of mechanisms put in place where you disconnect from technology in in some way or another to still have the one-to-one interaction with other people. Um, and you know, that may eventually happen as virtual reality, like while you're in class, but then outside of that, like you're still playing with each other because you don't have the same energetic connection when you're talking to somebody through Skype that you do when you're talking to them in person, right? So technology will be leveraged as a tool, but I still think it will be imperative to have one-to-one human engagement. Um, another thing that I think will create a dramatic shift in terms of calming people down and allowing them to go within and allowing them to do better in all areas of their life, but it will be implemented both within school and home, will be a dramatic shift in food that is consumed um, from a young age all the way to get older. Like, I think that there's a lot of people that don't realize that a lot of this ADD or ADHD in younger kids that we've had this huge epidemic with is not because your kid is has some terrible disorder where he can't pay attention. Why don't you look at what you've been feeding that person and how that's affecting them? What are you feeding your I mean, kid? <laughs> for real, like like the, the chemicals that are in our food today and how they react in our system and how they make us feel after taking them, like the amount of sugar that's put in things that can make people bounce off the wall mentally and physically. And there's even like... FDA technicalities that food producers can get around now where they can literally put sugar in substances that don't convert to sugar until after they're ingested and they actually metabolize in your body. And so because of that, it literally gives a person the same effect as eating sugar, but they don't have to label it on the uh, containers or whatever you're purchasing in America. They don't have to label it. And it literally does the same thing as sugar and it is sugar, but it's just distributed in a fashion that doesn't actually turn into sugar until after the body metabolizes it. Like that is complete BS in my eyes, but it's giving people the, the perception that, oh, they're eating something that's good. There's not this sugar in it that could affect my child when in reality it really is. And so I think moving forward, there, we're going to eventually remove all meat and dairy. I think that we're, we're slowly coming up and it's starting to accelerate much faster, understanding that there is not a long-term solution on this planet for us to consume meat and dairy. And now there's all this other type of plant-based food that's coming out that kind of mimics meat and dairy. And I still don't think that's good. Like 
beyond meat and impossible burgers and all these like this is biotechnology created in a lab mixed with different plant proteins you're basically genetically modifying plant-based food now just as we genetically modify other types of things but i think in the long term those are not going to be healthy sustainable solutions and my prediction is 10 to 20 years out with all these impossible and beyond meat burgers we're going to see some pretty bad uh reactions and you know diseases and things that occur from eating this stuff because it is not whole plant food but if you look at schools that actually implement whole plant-based organic diets the tests scores of students dramatically increase the behavior becomes much much better their engagement with others becomes better like the data is remarkable for the schools that actually implement this but it's not being done at like a lot of the educational institutions. It's only being done at places that can afford to implement this type of food supply. And I think once you begin to change that, it really enhances this holistic idea of education that what we put into our body is the energy we create that exudes out of our body. And once we master that and we're able to implement that into the school system, we're going to see a dramatic increase in positive benefits. Um, so those are some of the things that I think will occur throughout the upcoming years in terms of you know how education will change and hopefully it's much more built around playing to somebody's strengths and understanding what that is at an earlier age so that you can continue to groom that as that person gets older and a lot of these other things will play a factor in helping us accelerate that process. Yeah, agreed. So in the future, we see education shifting. We see food shifting. Food shifting, absolutely. You just talked about nutrition, right? I think when it comes to food, when it comes to um, the future of food, I don't really know how this is going to change my perception on this, my viewpoint. I think people will have a better understanding of things, but I think it's going to take a long time. It food will. Is something is gonna, because you want to know why? It's the billion dollar companies that literally control what goes in and out of our country right now. And this is another reason that a lot of families in foreign countries don't send their kids here. They literally make fun of Americans. They literally laugh and they say, oh my gosh, they think bread in the morning is like healthy. They think toast and eggs is healthy. They don't even know where their eggs come from. You know, they think their fruit is healthy. They literally make fun of us because their government is so strict on the chemicals and what's allowed and what's not allowed. Even their schools teach kids to go home for lunch and have lunch with their families or have a home cooked meal as opposed to eating cafeteria food, you know? And I think... I hope to see that change. I have more, if I if I was asked, like, what do you think? I think education is going to shift quicker. I think food is not because I think food is a great way to control people and control the pharmacy and control the medical industry, which is a billion dollar industry for this country. So I think dumbing our food down dumbs us down and keeps us kind of sick and controlled and helpless in a way, if that makes any sense. I don't know if I'm portraying that what, correctly. What you're trying to say, if I'm interpreting correctly, is that when we consume food that basically creates a negative acidic environment inside of our body, it actually dumbs us down. It right. makes us more docile and more sheep-like and allows us to be controlled easier, which is absolutely true in my opinion. When I, when I was like working in corporate America, um, here's what I would see in the morning. Huge cup of coffee. Some of them would put creamer in it. Others would put creamer and sugar in it. That sugar literally causes cancer. There's tons of studies out there. I'm not going to get into that. Okay, great. And they probably have like five or six cups of those throughout the day. Again and again and again. In between, a soda. Dude, do your research. 
There's tons of YouTube videos how bad soda is for us. I, I'm shocked at how many people still drink soda. Okay, great. Donuts. There's nothing that I saw people eat that was actually nutritious for the body and giving you vitamins and minerals and giving you clean, positive energy to get through your workday and be mentally clear, sharp, and focused. It was all shit food that was processed and created by us. Nothing from the earth, like nothing from our planet itself. It was so rare that I would see somebody eating a banana, maybe a cereal, an oatmeal, like out of a package that's five minutes in the microwave. Like I see something too that I think is interesting with people that maybe have some type of... Um, allergy or issue with gluten so they'll eat like turkey or a meat or an egg or something like that so that they can avoid gluten in like more of the carb-based stuff not realizing that the inflammatory response in the in meat and in that whatever type of substance that you're eating could potentially even be worse for you than the gluten that you even just didn't avoid it to eat basically yeah and then come around lunchtime fast food um, running through the fast food, ordering in, again, some like unhealthy sandwich with like potato chips on the side. It was so rare for me to see like healthy. Oh, and then, oh, then rushing to rushing home at 5 p.m. to make, you know, stovetop or a minute meal in the microwave, which again is boxed, processed, full of chemicals and preservatives, all leading to like illnesses later on in life. And so it makes me sad when I see those things and it, I just don't understand until... It's, and I think it's because it's a t- in America, at least, it's a total lack of awareness because of what how we're marketed to by these companies. Like how many people, when you pick up, when you pick up like a donut or a bag of chips or popcorn, do you ever question like, what is this doing to me? Is this going to give me energy? Is this going to make my skin better? Is this like healthy for me? Is this repairing, helping repair my organs? A lot of people look at it like, oh, this only has 150 calories in it. But they don't look at it from a perspective of, is this full of the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that are going to help me thrive as an electrical human being? And I know that I sound like I have a stick up my ass right now. It's not true. She does. No, I had guac and (laughs) chips last night. But listen, the guacamole was just fresh avocados, onions, peppers, and this. And as I'm watching the lady make it, I'm like, hmm. I don't know if those are organic. They're probably full of GMOs. Like, you know, like, is the, is that onion wash? Like, a lot of things go through my mind. But trust me, it's there in my head at all times. Now, what decision do I make? Depends on my mood sometimes. Like, I do like to indulge. Like, the chips didn't give me anything. I shouldn't have eaten those. But what I'm trying to say is when you do that every single day, that's where your body catches up. Like, for you and I, six, seven days, five to six days out of the week, you and I are very conscious eaters. Yeah. You won't even eat stuff when you're out. Uh, yeah, I usually am incredibly strict with At what work. I eat because I've tested so many different types of diets over the years. And I would say probably for the last 15 years, I've been super concerned in terms of what types of things I put inside of my body from a food perspective and a, and a, and a liquid perspective and tested how they make me feel with each thing. And after testing like almost every single type of diet I could think of, I'm now three years strong on being 100% plant-based and I've learned for me that it is by far the most effective diet that I've ever been on. Um, A lot of these other diets I would try for a period of time, but being three years strong on this, I don't see myself going anywhere except more refined with how I do things now because I've learned how my body reacts to every single thing I put into it. And since I eat so ridiculously clean and I eat only plants, you know, the vast majority of the time, 
my body is like a finely tuned machine in terms of how it operates all the time. And I think as I get older, and what I think if I'm predicting food out into the future, I think as this becomes more conscious and aware for individuals, human beings will shift this way, but they're going to eat less and less, right? Because if you ever like are at work one day and you go out and you eat a big hefty lunch and you come back and you're kind of like tired in the afternoon, maybe your insulin spikes and all of a sudden you're starting to get sleepy, like the human body does not need a tremendous amount of food and calories to operate on I'm a daily basis. I'm going to count that for a second. It's not so much about the amount of food you're consuming. It's about what you're consuming. If you and I eat the biggest salad of the world, we're still fine. You and I eat a pizza. It's a different story. So I hope that people don't really look at it that way. I hope the future doesn't go towards the amount I consume versus what I'm consuming. You can eat all the bananas and mangoes and fruit, which, by the way, we're told have too much sugar in them and our bodies can't process. Wrong. Okay. All the fruits and vegetables, all the raw salads you want, plant-based foods you want, and you're going to be fine. You won't gain weight. You'll be healthy. But should you go eat a heavy lunch at a fast food restaurant? Yeah. You're going to have negative effects of that. I understand what you're saying. I think I'm looking out further into the future where I think that people will understand that they don't have to hit these caloric requirements that the FDA says is like, oh, you got to hit this and it's got to be made up of X, Y, Z. Like people will understand that your body actually thrives on a lower amount of what were recommended. Everybody in my family that's lived lived past 100, which is a lot of them, um, have one thing in common. One, they always ate at home, home home-cooked meals, and they ate very little. Very tiny. Yeah, they have very small... um, appetites. And the data around longevity and calorie restriction is pretty abundant. And I'm not saying you starve yourself by any means, but you'll notice that once you start to remove all the toxic chemicals from foods that are traditional in the Western diet and you shift to plant-based and you begin understanding how different things make you feel when you eat them and you can eat a significantly smaller portion of food and get a significantly higher portion of vitamins, minerals, enzymes, and nutrients that you extract from those because you're eating closer to light. And through that, your body is now regenerating itself and creating the electrical energy that it needs to thrive on a daily basis. Let's parlay into the future now of, I think, because this this will help us get into that fitness. One more thing too about diet. And this kind of goes with fitness too. I think another thing that'll be much more prevalent in the future is everybody will hopefully have a regimented fasting protocol that they follow on some type of recurring basis. Because it is when you go without food and drinking anything, when you just stick to water, that your body begins to, on an accelerated pace, regenerate your cells, uh, shed away things that you don't need, enhance mental clarity, all sorts of these positive benefits that occur and regulate your hormonal responses within your body when you quit eating. And since we're so stuck in a society now where it's like breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, and I used to do this too when I was really big into following like a bodybuilding type diet and I was eating six meals a day. Like I was never giving my body an opportunity to actually digest the food I just ate. And with a proper fasting protocol, you will eat and your body will be able to, you know, spend certain amounts of time to then digest that food, extract the maximum amount of nutrients from the food that you just consumed and to help fuel your body in the future. Did you touch on fitness yet? No. No. Okay. So with fitness, I think based on nutrition, like that'll change as well. I don't think that the future is going to be big, goomba, yeah, juicy head, 
um what are they called what in the world did you even just say <laughs> what are they called these um gosh like really like really strong meathead yeah, type what's, frame what's the name for them guidos guidos <laughs> <laughs> well i think that's already starting to change fun a little fact bit. that's all i was into for a very long time in my life i only <laughs> went after guidos um but i think that's going to fizzle out because of the amount of consumption that's necessary to maintain that type of body and that weight and it's usually heavy in like meat heavy in processed foods heavy and all that and i'm not saying that it's for everybody i think it's going to take time but that shift's going to happen simply because i think more and more I notice it at Plank. I see more men. I started Plank a year ago. It'll be a year in December. Barely any men. And now I see guys in almost every single class and you could tell that it's making them more limber. It's helpful in their joints and their muscles or else you get very like um, tight. For me this past week, just as an example, I ran for three days in a row and took off Plank like one day or, in be- or two days in a row and I couldn't stretch, like reach down to my toes when I like bend over. Like I couldn't do it. I was that tight just from running. Whereas plank kind of stretches you out. And I think that that's very necessary to have a long, lean, healthy body is more important and is healthier than to be tight, small, petite, or large with abs and, and defined muscles. That isn't, that isn't long-term sustainable that isn't long-term healthy you're not going to see 60 80 year old healthy men and women you know consuming that much chicken and fish and meat and be completely healthy and the tighter your body is the more restricted the energy flow and oxygen flow is within your body so it only makes sense in the future that as people become more aware of this that a body type that is much more limber and flexible is going to be probably the more desired type of body because it's going to allow the oxygen and energy to flow more effectively throughout your entire being, which will have a lot of different benefits. You sleep better. You are better at work when you're sitting at your desk. You're better like, you know, it's just a much more clarity. It's more it's more clear focused. And that's why the natural progression almost always is people who lift a lot of weights kind of tend to go towards yoga and Pilates and like maybe walking. And it starts to change and, and you think that it's age. And people's sub, sub, subconscious thing of like, I can't be doing that, you know, it's actually though they feel better, right? And they're also not trying to uphold to a societal picture of what's perfect and what's attractive. I also don't think that for younger kids in high school and college, that's not going to be attractive anymore. The big muscles and the abs and the six packs, I don't think that that's going to be something that's like, you know, wanted. Now, of course- If you think about it, the only reason that- w- people in today's day and age find that attractive in an opposite sex is because media Media. if media today wiped off all the marketing they did around that which is basically just creating an industry for supplements and more consumption of animal-based proteins and they only marketed somebody for example that had a much more lean flexible physique Mm -hmm. over the course of the next five to eight years that's what everybody would do it's strictly around programming yeah it is if if you had all your like New Jersey housewives and like all these reality TV stars starting to do like Pilates and yoga every day and just like not lifting weights or not going on, you know, fad diets or not getting plastic surgery. Everybody else will start doing it too. And that's just how, I don't know, I think that's just human nature to follow influence, to be influenced by what other people are doing. But I do think the fitness industry and what is quote unquote attractive is going to change. While I'm on that topic, this isn't fitness, but it's attractiveness. I don't think that this plastic surgery phase is going to last any longer as well because bigger assets is not going to be a thing that's going to be very... Um, if you, Let me put it this way. 
I'm not against plastic surgery and I'm not against anybody who's ever done it. If you want to do it and you have it, all power to you. I just don't think that it's going to be a factor in beauty or in what's attractive or what's hot or what's sexy. I think as fitness changes and you have that leaner, more petite body, I think that's going to be more celebrated as like, what are you just naturally? It's not even so much that you have to be a smaller, tinier person. I'm just saying that what are you naturally without any enhancements from the medical field, right? If you go outside of America, you'll see that everybody's kind of smaller. Um, and when I say smaller, I don't mean that they don't have muscle or they're not like thicker or they're not naturally have a bigger ass or bigger tits, whatever. It's more around like they're more natural. They don't have fake boobs or like ass injections or a tummy tuck, you know, which is like a very prevalent body type in California. Ass, tits, and like a tummy tuck to make your waist more hourglass shape. There are, I, I now know because I, I've known a couple girls who have that done and they've, they've told me what to look for and that this is like the direct of like, this girl doesn't work out. This is plastic surgery. So I can when tell. I, when I go to places like that and I walk walk on the street, I literally feel like I'm in a movie or something that where I'm seeing like the same four faces and body types. It's a look Male sure. and female yeah. on both sides. And you can tell that when you're there, you've been programmed to do that because everybody else around you is like that. So you eventually adopt it when you're in that environment. The average person doesn't know and doesn't understand, doesn't have the eye or hasn't learned like this girl's body, she got this and this done. Because I know a few people who have, I've learned like to get the eye of it and like now I know what to look for. But think about the person who thinks that, oh my God, like she's so hot and she's so pretty, like she has such a tight stomach, you know, she's got like what this and then you don't understand and you don't get like, listen, that's not real. And I understand that it's celebrated right now and it's like it's a sign of beauty and sexiness and hotness or whatever you want to call it and it brings out a lot of insecurities in other people. This is for men and women. Um, I don't think in the future, though, that's going to be the way. And already I am starting to see a huge wave of women getting explants. I mean, every single day. Explain what an explant is for somebody that may not know. So this, a lot of people in the last 20 years, um, especially our generation, has gotten like breast implants to enhance them like this was like being handed out like candy when we were like 18 years old for graduation gifts this was like a common thing and now these women are going back actually women as old as like 40 and 50 and 60 are going back and getting explants because of the health issues that are happening you have to understand when this this, basically they're getting their augmentations yes when these this technology came out and this stuff came out you don't know the long-term effects of this doctors don't know what happened for in someone's body of keeping those things in there for 10, 20, 30 plus years. And when I say explants or health issues, you'd be surprised. Just pick up Instagram and look how many people that my age, 31, I'm 31, that we kind of grew up watching. Um, and I'll like, uh, Lily Galici is one. Um, the, uh, what's her name? Do you know the Videl Sassoon that that guy, he's like a big hair guy, his daughter. There are prominent names that anybody my age would know if you haven't been living under a rock um, that all these women are coming out now and saying like, if I could make a decision, if I could change one thing is I wish I didn't do this to my body and I wish I loved myself and accepted myself just the way that I was naturally because it's caused me that many problems now later in life. With that being said, I read a post the other day and the woman said, along with the health issues, And along with the struggle to go back to my natural size and to getting these these implants taken out, it's also something that's much, much harder to learn in my 40s now that I have kids and I have a husband and it's much harder to stand there and love myself 
without implants. I literally have to look in the mirror every single day and like force myself to accept myself and love myself. And it's not, and I'm aware that it's because I was so attached to this external physique that I had and this look that I upheld between, you know, in my, in my marriage, in my life, in my fame and in my career that now I feel not so pretty anymore. And it's like, I have to learn. And she's like, that's not something that we should be having to think about when we're 40 and 50. We should be aging and aging gracefully. We should have all the confidence in the world at this age, not going backwards. And so I do think in the future, along with fitness, I think this plastic surgery realm is going to slow down. And it should. I don't think that that's very healthy. Um, I would be lying if I said that I haven't thought about those things myself. Although naturally I don't need a tit job by any means. I'm fine the way I am. But I have thought about other things. Um, and when I was like 18, 19, 20, even up to like 25. It's just up until recent after I have learned about the health issues around everything. And I've started to see that that kind of beauty will only last for so long. And if you talk to people who do have plastic surgery, do you think that their self-love and acceptance has gotten better or changed or confidence has changed? No. They're looking for the next thing and the next thing. Almost every single one will tell you that. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I think it's beautiful that they admit that. And I think they should share that more often and be vocal about it that, hey, listen, my ass job and my tit job doesn't make me feel confident all the time. I don't sit here and think that I don't need anything else. No, now I think about Botox. Now I think about this. Now I think about that. Like, yeah, it's never ending. So until you learn to accept and love yourself fully and wholly, I don't think that those are things that someone should be going after. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, that's the future. I, I don't think that plastic surgery is going to be a big thing, especially as globalization continues and we all mesh together between different countries and, you know, learn other cultures. You're going to realize that this is not a, this is not the norm in other countries. This is not something to be boasting about and showing off about and bragging about. It's really not. What's another thing we could talk about in the future? Why don't we talk about the change in the workforce? So, Oh my God, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, jobs. Yeah, so I think jobs will continue to evolve into more of like a gig economy where people have yeah. the freedom to do what they choose, kind of more, you know, the, the Uber models, the... Uh, that, that type of stuff, but for a lot of different things. And that's already happening. Um, I also think that in the future, when it comes to people working at different companies, there won't be a giant headquarters that everybody goes to. I think with the massive increase in co-working spaces, that what a lot of bigger companies will do is basically get these subscriptions that allow their employees to work wherever is closer to their home. There's also going to be a lot more leeway in remote work. And that trend's already showing itself that people in the younger demographic actually prefer to have the flexibility to work from home or go into the office when they choose to. And their work product increases from having that flexibility. But I think we're going to see more and more bigger companies that are going to say, you know what, I'm going to get subscriptions at co-working spaces around the city. And then anybody that works for our company, we're going to allow them to bounce to whatever co-working space makes sense for them. And I think there's going to be much more of these mini economies that are created where it's like work, live, play in a smaller subset of a city because it's closer in proximity to different things that you do like and you Kanye's enjoy. world where he wants a church, a sustain- self-sustainable farm, and then people living around that area. Um, I agree with you. 
I think it's going to be the gig economy. I also think that there's going to be more of an important, I'm sorry, two things. There's going to be more entrepreneurs. Um, not that there already isn't, um, but there's going to be more people kind of making their own creative ways to make money. It's not, and we already see that now. Like, look at how many unique ways you can make money from esports, gaming, being I know. on YouTube, like all sorts of stuff. The job landscape is completely yeah. changing. I know that uh, people have a very currently the main view of like, well, mostly from people who aren't doing anything with their lives. But there's kind of a negative outlook on Instagram right now, kind of in some ways of like these influencers make money just by posting clothes and just by doing this and that. And I don't see it that way. I don't make my money off Instagram, so. I'm not one of those people that everyone hates, but I will say this. I think it's incredible that we have a free platform that connects people from all over the world and in all different industries where you can showcase your work, whatever that may be, even if that is posting about a sweatshirt. I understand that it's not um, something very deep or meaningful, but if that's how someone can make a couple hundred dollars and actually make well enough to provide for their families or have a salary without sitting in a cube, then by all means do it. Because here's my comparison. Do you think that that girl posting about outfits is doing anything more important than the person plugging away at some Fortune 500 company, you know, pushing paper or pushing numbers behind a computer screen? No. So who are we to judge that? And I think there's going to be more and more. Everyone wants to say that Instagram is going to go away. I really strongly don't think Instagram is going to go away. I think it'll change to virtual reality. I think that things will, the technology might change. But I think that this economy of making or doing something creative, even if it's styling clothes or writing a book or having a podcast or coaching somebody on Instagram live and making that connection with people and still generating revenue, I think is going to become pretty mainstream in the future because we as humans are not created and we are not born to live or to work 80 to 90 percent of the time and then the rest of our life we put towards retirement and just die I don't believe that I think life is perpetual and it's ever going and evolving and we must continually like kind of learn that work-life balance but I'm beyond work-life balance. And I hope to God that the future agrees with this, with what I'm saying, that people shouldn't have to ha- like to choose between financial freedom and a job or having kids at a younger age versus like gunning away at their career to make enough money to do that or vacations versus like, can I even take this time off at work or, you know, kind of getting scared to take the time off, you know, like I don't think that that should be the future. And I hope it's not. No, I totally agree. Um, how are we looking on time for now? We've been talking for like an hour. Okay. Should we, cut, we wrap it up a little bit, you think? Well, here, let's, let's, what did we talk about? We talked about... Um, talked about education. Education in the future. We talked about food. Food in the future. Talked a little bit about like pharmaceutical and health. Fitness in the future. We talked about fitness. Plastic now we surgery just, in the future. Like, like image. Um, and then we just talked about work. Work, work is going to change. I have one more point about work. I also don't think that there's going to be such an importance around or a clout, I could say, around your job and your titles and your degrees. I think that's going to slowly diminish. And I believe that just your happiness level and just sustaining your life and living from like kind of an inward outside perspective is going to be given that importance. You mm-hmm. know, it's about it's about having a holistic life, not so much a life that looks good on paper. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have, I just this just came up in my head when you were talking based on something that you said, but... 
I wrote this book that came out in 2017 called Consciousness and Tech. And I actually ended the book with some interesting ideas about how I think the future will turn out to be. And it actually rings true to some of the things that we just stated. So I'm going to read through just 10 quick little bullet points that I had or based around predictions of where I thought like a society would change and evolve in the future. And the first one I had was quality, not quantity, will become the measure of worth. So basically, like Nina said, you're going to be much more focused not around like your title or how much things you accumulate, but the quality of the life you live, not the quantity of what you have. Uh, the second thing was reduction of use will be valued and growth will be devalued. Now, I think this is of monumental importance, and I definitely see this in terms of what's necessary for the future, that we can't continue to create different types of companies where all they're focused on is like grow, 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 grow consume, consume that's going to have a dramatically bad impact. And so reduction of use will definitely be more valued. Um, in terms of like the gig economy, this is one that we have here that I talked about. Freedom to operate in one's own self-interest will be replicated by the responsibility to operate, operate in the interest of others. So basically being more entrepreneurial, being able to do things that you enjoy individually and not so much working to make somebody else wealthy or happy. Uh, the next one, number four, is the measure of educational success will not be the quantity of learning, but wh whether the education leads to movement up the existential staircase. Business and other organizations will be judged in the same way. So that has kind of go with the educational stuff that we talked about. The fifth one is the boss will be the expediter of subordinates' desires rather than the director of their activities, meaning that as a employer your goal will be to work to help other people accelerate like being able to go after what they enjoy doing as opposed to being like you need to go do xyz and by playing to those strengths of people it's going to help you accelerate companies um, six the political systems which let anyone run for office will be replaced by systems that require candidates to meet certain requirements for office like things that will be objectively See, that's viewed. a cool one i'd like to do an episode on the future of politics at some yeah. point Okay, go ahead, sorry. Uh, number seven, a leisure ethic will replace the work ethic as the primary means of valuing a person. A man will be more revered for his ability to contribute in his non-earning time yep. than in his earning time. And this really ties into that point above about a better quality of life as uh -huh. opposed to quantity. Yeah. There is no, there's no glam in the staying busy, right? Everyone's like, oh, they're so busy and they're so this and that. There's not like, what, what do you want a badge? Do you want an award <laughs> for that? Like, really? You're wasting your life away. Uh, number eight was work will be increased for the young and reduced for the older, while education is increased for the older and reduced for the younger. So, you know, right now we're really focused on slamming education, then working as hard as we possibly can until as old as we can. Some people have to work way beyond what they should be working yeah. just to put food on the table. Mm -hmm. And that'll really flip itself. Um, another prediction is, is number nine I have is actions that promote interdependent existence will be valued more than those that promote the sanctity of the individual. And the last one I have, which, you know, we really try to incorporate by getting outside more and more, is that unity with nature will replace unity with God. So spending more time being able to engage with your surroundings outside of technology, outside of the walls of your house, getting outside in nature more to basically connect with other people in the surroundings that we have on the planet. Dude, I agree. How about you share with everybody where they can find that, find your book? Oh, yeah, sure. You wrote that book. Yeah, for sure. So this book, this will be our book recommendation for the week. So this book is called Consciousness in Tech. 
And if you go to Brian Dixon, B-R-I-A-N-D-I-X-O-N dot business, Brian Dixon dot business, and go to the books tab at the top, I have uh, the three books that I've authored and the book that Nina and myself co-authored. But uh, the name of that book is Consciousness and Tech. And you can read through that. It basically has to do with human consciousness and technology and how one plays off the other. And then a bunch of predictions around where I think the future of technology will go along with our consciousness. And then I end the book with those points that I just laid out. Yeah, and it's free to download. You guys, it's not it's not available for purchase. It's just free. And just in case, because that site, we're, we're changing up our websites and we're going to be getting a new website. So that one might be down by the time people listen to this podcast, just yeah. in case it is. It won't be down till end of December, actually. People so, can also go to my LinkedIn profile. To, yeah. And I've got a bunch of publications that I've been featured in or books I've written on my LinkedIn. And my LinkedIn profile is just like linkedin.com backslash Brian Dixon 06. Yeah. Look for his LinkedIn and those that link to that book is also in there. And if you guys still can't find it and if the website is down that he mentioned earlier, feel free to shoot me a DM at Nina Pal Dixon on Instagram or shoot Brian a DM at Brian Dixon 06 on Instagram. And we'll be happy to send you guys a free link to the book. It's, it's actually a very interesting read. And I agree agree with many of the points that you made in it well you guys we hope you enjoyed this um episode we're actually recording welcome this- to the future yeah welcome to the future we're do- this was a very um in the moment record i liked us. it though i thought it was it was fun to talk about sometimes it's fun to like not plan and prepare and just let it rip <laughs> yeah just let it rip off the dome <laughs> all right well thank my you my mind went somewhere else with that <laughs> <laughs> uh, well thanks everybody so much we're really grateful that you joined us for another episode and if you have any questions or feedback or you'd like to hear anything else for us to discuss, please let us know. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week. Have a great week.